0: Once in a while, my, my only son over here likes to ask Vicky and I questions uh, about what it was like in what he calls the olden days, <laughs> especially, especially when it comes to technology or maybe the lack of it, because uh, he has a hard time imagining what it would be like to live in a world without FaceTime uh, or instant messenger uh, or cell phones. Like, for instance, you guys remember the party lines? You know, remember when there would be like a dozen or more families who would, would share the same telephone line, and uh, you had to memorize your particular ring, uh, and when the phone rang your combination of longs and shorts, you know, you'd pick up the receiver and talk. Uh, or, or, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly right, that's what I was going to say. Or if, you know, if it was a bit dull on a particular day, uh, like did happen in small towns from time to time, you might just uh, pick up the receiver and listen in on a call that you knew was for one of your neighbors. Who, all right, who's done that? Okay, all right. How, how, else did, how else did you keep up on the local gossip and the news, right? Now, I'm not one for eavesdropping, and if you ask my family, in fact, they would tell you that uh, I barely listen to them when they're talking right to me, uh, and, and I don't hear them, let alone listen to someone else's conversation. But in our text today, we get the chance to do exactly that, because we get to eavesdrop on a sacred discussion. Uh, We get to today in Psalm 22, pick up the party line, as it were, and hear the Holy Spirit speaking directly to King David about a conversation that our Lord Jesus Christ will have 10 centuries in the future from when he wrote this with God the Father from the cross. So are you listening? All right, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 22. Uh, and, And just parenthetically, while we're reading through this, uh, just try to just think of what this may remind you of and from the crucifixion story So psalm 22 beginning in verse 1 and the superscription reads to the choirmaster, master According to the dole of the dawn a psalm of david And he begins my god My god, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my god, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me, they divide my garments. Among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat, and all that worship before Him shall bow, all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Prosperity will serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to coming generations. They shall come and proclaim His greatness. To a people yet unborn, that He has done it. So, you know we've been on this uh, this journey together for the past 21 weeks as we've traveled through the Book of Psalms, and, and today, Christ the King Sunday is uh, the last Lord's Day in this church liturgy year, and it really provides a great opportunity for us to celebrate Jesus uh, as our past present and future coming king over all creation and and to proclaim his triumph at the cross and that's actually where our reading takes us today because you know on one level when you read through this psalm it comes to us from the heart of david but you know when you look at it there's no situation recorded in scripture where david went through any kind of trial uh, to the degree that psalm 22 seems to describe Uh, in fact james montgomery boyce the commentator said no Incident recorded of david can begin to account for this The language of the psalm defies natural explanation The best account of it is that david being a prophet foresaw and spoke of the christ And so what we see here is that david is kind of going beyond himself prophetically and he's describing a death by crucifixion hundreds of years before that mode of execution was even known and He's detailing the passion fulfilled by his greatest descendant, Jesus the Messiah. And he's doing it about a thousand years before it happened. Even going as far as to tell us the actual words that Jesus will cry out from the cross and describing in detail uh, what the people around the cross are going to be doing and saying as he's dying there. So kind of just keep that in one part of, of your mind. And I want to go to the actual crucifixion story that's recorded for us in... Uh, Mark chapter 15, and I want you to see how these connect to each other. So Mark 15, beginning in verse 22, says, And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered Him wine mixed with myrrh, but He didn't take it. And they crucified Him. And they divided His garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And as it was the third hour, when they crucified Him. So You kind of can't miss the... Even just in that little section, the similarities between the two texts. Uh, And and can you imagine that the psalmist King David, a thousand years before it actually happened, is describing exactly what people were going to be doing and saying at the crucifixion. And remember now, this is not uh, trying to reverse engineer the prophecy. uh, Because Psalm 22 had been a codified part of the Hebrew Bible uh, for centuries before Christ was born. And that's important. Just in case you might be thinking, well, let's see, maybe Jesus read all these Old Testament prophecies and just somehow arranged for his life to fit into them. Now, I suppose some mentally ill person probably could do that, could figure out how to kind of live a messianic identity. But, you know, actually having it come about, that's something completely different. You know, yes, someone could get themselves killed by the Roman authorities... But how could you guarantee it would be by crucifixion, right? Uh, What if, for instance, the Romans had just beaten Jesus to death? Uh, What if they had uh, beheaded him instead? What if uh, maybe they just left him to starve in prison? Those were all very real possibilities, and yet Jesus was brought to the cross. And not just any cross, but a cross that he was nailed to. A cross where David prophesied, they have pierced my hands and my feet just as David predicted, uh, in a time when many victims were simply tied to a crossbeam, I mean, it absolutely boggles your mind that here is David in Psalm 22 describing this future scene in such detail, and they get even more astounding from there. If we continue reading in Mark, uh, if you're following along down at verse 29, it says, "...and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days..." Save yourself and come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved himself, or saved others rather. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. See, these priests now had no earthly idea when they woke up that morning that the day they were about to go into was going to place them on the stage of history and insert them directly into the great salvation narrative that God the Father had already written in detail, including most of their individual lines. Because you see, these priests and religious leaders have been frightened of Jesus before. But you can see very clearly that they're arrogant now, right? Uh, Before they were threatened by Jesus because they saw that uh, Jesus was able to teach the crowds and, uh, and bless the multitudes and lead them in ways that none of the priests could do on their own. So they were jealous. They were angry, and now this is their moment. And they had come and stood around the cross, mocking Jesus and and gloating over his apparent helplessness, fulfilling the words of David in Psalm 22 when he wrote, "All who see me mock me; they make mouths at me; they wag their heads." He trusted in the Lord; let him deliver him; let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You see these men around the cross mocking jesus and and calling on him to abandon the cross if he's really the lord if he's really the christ to come down but you know the sad truth is folks are still doing that today there are many religious leaders i won't call them pastors but many religious leaders who use the name of jesus but want nothing to do with the cross just like those priests priesthood just like those priests hoping that Jesus would just abandon the cross and then maybe they could kind of swallow this whole Savior Messiah thing. Uh, and people today are doing the same thing in pulpits all over the country, thinking, you know, hey, it's, uh, it's 2018, who wants to talk about all that blood and, and violence and, and death after a life of sacrifice, because that's all too depressing. It's too depressing, especially if your motivation to preach is to fill auditoriums and to charge people money so that you can make them feel good about themselves. And about their lives in this world by uh, hearing a great pep talk. But one that has no real obligations or commitments that go along with it. But you know, I want you to know that uh, the Bible says if you ever hear another gospel that doesn't have at its core the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Then you're listening to what the Apostle Paul called another gospel and a lie. But you know, by God's grace uh, and thankful to the leadership that you have here in your council and the board of deacons that's not ever going to happen here because we preach the full gospel of god's word open and unvarnished from beginning to end including in our text today uh, that actually contains probably one of the most disturbing verses in all of scripture when in psalm 22 verse 1 uh, david hears the messiah saying my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me and from the words of my groaning because you see, when Jesus cried out from Calvary for God to help him, no one answered, did they? There was no reply. There was just silence and darkness around the silhouette of the cross. That cross that David had prophesied where God's judgment was perfectly administered and where his mercy was publicly displayed when Christ took upon himself the punishment meant for the guilty. Uh, meant for me. And that's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that uh, for he, God, made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we've talked about this a lot in Sunday school class before, but uh, you know, if you remember in that moment on the cross when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those awful moments, Jesus was experiencing the very definition of hell in our place, uh, experiencing the abandonment and separation from the Father that I deserved as God placed all of the sins of the world on him. Uh, Jesus took them all. And he didn't just take them like a a filthy rag that you could hold at arm's length to avoid being soiled by it. The word says he became those sins. And because of that, in that moment, uh, the Father turned away the light of his presence from our Lord and turned away the light of his countenance from Jesus. And in its place, he received the full measure of the divine curse. Do you know that's one of the reasons... Uh, every week, as we say the Apostles' Creed, that we repeat that line, uh, He descended into hell. You know, occasionally when we've done that, uh, people have gotten concerned or uncomfortable with the phrase, He descended into hell, because either uh, maybe they just haven't set through a teaching on it, or maybe they don't realize the depths to which our sin took Jesus. Uh, not, not bodily, to a place of, of flames and demons, but physically and spiritually, suffering the full measure of God's punishment and the complete lack of his mercy and help. In fact, John Calvin said of that phrase in the Creed, he said, if Christ had died only bodily, it would have been ineffectual to know it was expedient at the same time for him to undergo the severity of God's vengeance. So no wonder then he is said to have descended into hell. You know, he did that for you and for me for no other reason than that he loved us in spite of the horrible price that it would cost him when our perfect, sinless, infinitely just God, according to his own design, established the means for guilty human beings to be reconciled to him. And doing it without one ounce of guilt ever being swept under the rug or one bit of justice unserved. All because of what Jesus endured for us. Obeying and honoring God, even in the midst of his agony and suffering, but still calling to mind the Father's divine character. Because remember David uh, recorded as we wrote the Messiah saying, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and you rescued them, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. Because see, Jesus realized for that moment, for that time on the cross he was forsaken and that that God's will for him in that time of darkness was for him to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it in his head and in his heart and in his spirit. He even knew it from having read Psalm 22 dozens of times since his days in Sabbath school. But, you know, knowing something like that's going to happen doesn't make it any easier to go through, does it? And so he held on to his faith and remembered the character of the Father. And, and, and please hear me if you don't remember anything else that I said today, if you don't catch anything else that we talked about. What does Jesus remind himself of when it seems like God's nowhere to be found? He reminds him that God can be trusted. He reminds himself that our God can be trusted. You see, Jesus knew uh, God too well to ever let outward circumstances undermine his faith and undermine his love for the Father. And so his strategy to endure the pain of Calvary was to rely on what he knew to be true about God. And because of that, he could endure it. Because of that, he could endure a trial that was infinitely more than you or I will ever face. And so if he could trust God, then so should you and I. Because no matter what, Jesus trusted. And I pray that our response would be the same uh, no matter what difficulties are surrounding us today. Just like Jesus was surrounded. Remember, we read in Psalm 22, he said, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet and I can count all my bones. They stare at me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And you know this would, this would make a great Sunday school class. I wish we had another hour to look at all the connections between Psalm 22 uh, and the passion of Christ because we just have so many prophetic details of the crucifixion with such graphic details uh, of what Jesus is going through. You know, you've got those those fat bulls of the Pharisees around the foot of the cross, and uh, the Roman soldiers that the Jews considered Gentile dogs, uh, the picture of our Lord's strength uh, being spent in His extreme thirst, uh, the hands and feet being pierced that we mentioned, the, uh, the gawking passers-by that are staring at His exposed and, and beaten and partially nude body, and even the casting of lots for His clothes, uh, all of those and more literally fulfilled at the cross. But you know the good news is that wasn't the end. Because just when the scene seems to be its darkest, hope returns. And we read uh, the Messiah saying, You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I'll tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Because you see, the picture here is still with, uh, with Jesus on the cross. He's still suffering. He's still crying out in pain, but then the darkness starts to lift. The sun begins to shine and the Lord realizes that God did hear him when he prayed. He did hear him when he cried for help. And that he's at his side and Jesus' cry now transforms from one of pain out of the depths of a worn out and tormented body into a shout of victory because the sin debt has been paid. And at that point in the narrative, our Lord takes his last breath and declares, it's finished. It's finished. And then immediately Jesus dismisses his spirit. Because remember, our Lord didn't just happen to die. He dismissed his spirit in his own time. Uh, He wasn't put to death. He was obedient unto death. A triumphant death, as as the tone of this psalm and the crucifixion narrative uh, now turns from tragedy into triumph, and when what seems like the world to be a tragic defeat is going to be viewed as God's greatest victory. That's why we read in verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. You see, Jesus endured the greatest trial that anyone has ever suffered at the hands of a loving Father. And when everything was stripped away from him, Jesus trusted in the plan and the purpose of God. And you know, in the end, God's will was accomplished, and now our Christ is exalted He's exalted as our risen conquering king and God was magnified by a trusting savior who died for our sins. So today let's stand in awe of him. Let's worship him for his loving sacrifice. Let's copy his example, even in the midst of difficulties in our lives because the good news is our Christ is reigning supreme. You, know, you see, we don't have to wait for some coming day when his reign is going to begin. Uh, it's in place right now in spite of any appearance to the contrary, because if Christ is the Lord of your life, you're already living in the kingdom by faith. You're already living by faith in His incarnation, and His ministry, and His suffering, and death, and burial, and resurrection from the grave to ascend to the Father's right hand. But you know the opposite is true too, because today if Christ isn't the Lord of your life, uh, I invite you today, if you hear His Spirit calling to you, don't wait. Now's the time to receive Him. The Bible says today is the day to hear His voice. Uh, to hear His voice over the, uh, the loud and meaningless chatter of the world and to receive His message of reconciliation that, that comes to us by the Spirit over the party line of the world that's filled with pride and hate and vanity and materialism that competes for our attention. Because, you know, the Bible tells us that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many times and in many ways through the prophets. But in these last days... He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, God is still speaking. The question is, are we listening? Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank You that You are still speaking through Your Word and through Your Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Father, that uh, in this moment, in this time, that You would lend that Spirit to open any heart or any mind here that's not committed to You. Uh, We ask, Lord, that Your Word would go forward And it would accomplish, Father, all that you purpose it to because you promised it will never return to you in vain. And so we thank you for your love and for your message in Jesus Christ, our risen, conquering King, in whose name we pray. Amen.